the Anchor Podcast app, and anywhere else you get podcasts. We're also on Twitter at KCOU Walk-Ons. End your week with preferred walk-ons, a part of KCOU Sports, and now streaming. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Phil, and we play in Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yelton. And you're listening to KCOU Columbia. 88.1. KCOU would like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. Whether it be t-shirts for your charity event or jerseys for your intramural team, One to One Print Shop can handle your custom apparel needs. If you need inspiration crafting a design, you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram at One to One Print Shop to check out some of their latest work. You can also visit their website at one-to-one-printshop.com. That's O-N-E-T-O-O-N-E printshop.com. Hello. Welcome in to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM. KCOU.FM, The Blue Box, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you for our final show of the semester, the final show of season three of the formerly called Show to be named later. Show to be named later, but now the preferred walk-ons. We, we're not changing our name again. But <laughs> no, uh, we're not. We're not. But we will be back for another year in the fall. But this is the final show of this semester. So before we go on our I guess about two and a half to three month break. We will do sort of a year in review a little bit. This show, we will kind of look back on some things that went, took place this year, some stuff we talked about, some stuff that happened, as well as looking forward to next year and what we, I don't know if expect or could see coming, as well as Garrett has some stuff saved up, I think, don't you, Garrett, from the past semester of he's going to play some memorable moments. Actually, I don't have anything today. I couldn't find anything that was worth like chase had a funny bit about, um, what was it? Draymond Green. Draymond Green. That was about it, though. We didn't. We didn't have no. any like memorable sound bites from this year. Right, so well, I guess we, I guess we do don't it. have any sound bites, but we will still look back on some of the things we discussed and some of the people we talked to throughout this semester, as we hope to join, have some more join us in the fall. So we're going to get into a little bit of Mizzou year in review, as well as the professional sports, some best and worst moments, and then what to look forward to coming in the fall. Obviously. This time of year, it's a little bit slower on the Mizzou side of things. There's still baseball and softball wrapping up, but not nearly as much as as the fall and winter. So the last few weeks, our show hasn't been as Mizzou-focused as it generally is in the fall and the winter. But we will look back. I guess we'll go ahead and start with Mizzou football this past year. Mizzou goes 7-5 and five in the regular season. 8-4 eight eight excuse me, 8-4 in the eight regular four. season, and then 8-5 and five overall as they lost their bowl game on New Year's Eve to Oklahoma State. Drew Locke obviously graduates. He gets drafted in the second round by the Denver Broncos. And Mizzou gets Kelly Bryant, the graduate transfer from Clemson, as their quarterback for next year. And we'll get into next year a little bit later. But looking back on this year and 
the Mizzou season as a whole, what will you guys remember the most and what do you think was maybe the most significant thing that you witnessed this year? I would say how this team was two or three plays away from being a 10-win 10, 10 team. And, and, you know, people can always say that they were two or three wins away with big plays. This team was two or three wins away from a 10-win season on just little stuff. You know, you get a stop against Kentucky. You know, South Carolina doesn't make that field goal. You know, it just, little stuff like that. And that's what really sticks out to me is how good this team was. And I, I think how for granted some of these fans took about how good this team actually was. That that was the biggest thing for me this year. Yeah, it was weird because you look at it coming in, right? And you would have been kidding yourself if you're a Missouri fan and you said that you wouldn't have been pleased with eight wins and going to a Premier Bowl game, getting ranked in the college football playoff rankings for the first time in school history. You would have been kidding yourself if you weren't pleased with that season. But the way that it panned out, right, Missouri was so competitive in games early, especially towards the middle of the year, to see it only end up with eight wins it was certainly disappointing that was the thing that's really going to stick out to me about the 2018 season is you know chase mentioned it you're a touchdown total and net points from only having losses to two of the nation's most premier teams yep it's something that missouri fans are going to have a hard time getting past for a long time to come yeah i think you know when you look back on it it was kind of a year where they they won the games they were supposed to win but they didn't really win any of the games that they weren't supposed to win and mm -hmm. i think in order to have a really good season, to have a memorable season, that's kind of what has to happen. And I think, unfortunately for Drew Locke, even though he'll go down as a, a you know well-respected, well-known quarterback in Missouri history, he was never really ever able to win that memorable game, that you know unbelievable performance that everyone's going to be like, yeah, remember that game? You know that game even ten years from now, where they're going to be you know talking about it twenty years from now. And, you know, past Missouri quarterbacks, whether it be Brad Smith or Chase Daniel, kind of had that game, and it just never really happened for Drew Locke. And I think overall, even though the numbers obviously are, are pretty extraordinary, he's the right now the SEC all-time leader for touchdown passes thrown in a season, he said his junior year. He, I don't know if he'll necessarily be overlooked, but I don't think he'll necessarily be looked at as you know, in a super fond way by fans just because – there wasn't really that moment that they can look back on and remember him for. It's so hard to pinpoint Drew Locke's legacy, right? Because you look at it, and it was just a roller coaster from signing day. Obviously, a, a four-star caliber, top 100 recruit out of uh, the Kansas City area in Missouri, stays at home, signs with Gary Pinkle in his last recruiting class. There's an up. Plays his freshman year, beats South Carolina for the team's only uh, SEC win in 2015. There's another up, so Drew Locke starts in the up. His freshman year only throws four touchdowns to eight interceptions. Things kind of bottom out. Sophomore year really ramps back up with 23 touchdowns, projected as an SEC playmaker, but the team goes four and eight. You look at his junior season, numbers off the charts under Josh Heupel, 44 touchdowns, but the team underachieves holistically with a 7-6 record. And then what should have been the culmination his senior year hit a rough patch in the middle, you lose a bowl game on a play that a quarterback probably should make and a goal line set, right? Loses against Oklahoma, fails to convert a fourth down, and then it goes back down in the downswing, falling out of the first round. So Drew Locke's legacy, a likable guy. Everybody in Columbia knew who he was. Talented playmaker, caught the national eye for a little while, and yet Missouri fans aren't really going to know of all those moments which to remember him for. And then you got to think untimely interceptions too. Well, I would say what I will personally remember Drew Locke for was the development. You, you think about the development from the way he played his freshman mm -hmm. year to the way he played his senior year. I mean, those are two completely different quarterbacks. And, and you just think about all the turmoil he had to deal with in his four years here. And he was still able to take the team, as you mentioned, to two winning seasons. You know, you know to me, I was talking to one of my good friends about this the other day. 
Drew Locke might go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks in Mizzou history. I mean, and and he didn't do anything that spectacular. Just not a lot of wins to pin with it. There wasn't a lot of wins, but the stats and the playmaking is there, and I don't think you can deny that. No, No, yeah, no, he's certainly, some of his records will stand for a a while. Right, and, and, you know, I also think, you know, like you mentioned, Chase Daniel, Blaine Gabbert, Brad Smith, they had some of those marquee caliber wins, but they didn't translate those wins into eye-dropping stats or, you know, making it to the next level, and I just don't see Drew Locke as that. I see him as that quarterback who can really develop and he can play at the next level as well. Right, and you never know. I mean, if Drew Locke had Chase Daniels' team, it might have been a completely different thing. Exactly. Drew Locke was probably a better quarterback than Chase Daniel, but the fact of the matter is Chase Daniel took Missouri to number one in the country. Brad Smith beat Nebraska for the first time in 25 years. Those are the kind of things that ultimately fans remember more than what exactly your stats were because over time those things kind of fade away and, you know, unless you're looking it up or you really focus on it, you don't necessarily remember it. So, yeah, I think it it was an interesting year overall. There was certainly some development from a lot of younger players and they also got some, you know, key contributions from some older guys on that team as well. And overall, you know, I think it's a team that was a pretty good team. It wasn't a great team. It was a pretty good team. It was a team that, you know, won the games they were supposed to, did what they were supposed to, but in the end didn't do anything spectacular to the point where, you know, you're going to remember that going forward, And you know, compared to a team like Kentucky this year that did have that kind of year and was able to win a couple of those games, including the one against Missouri. All right, now shifting to the men's basketball side, Mizzou, after making the NCAA tournament the previous year, fails to make in any tournament this year. They, you know, finished the year not actually that all that far off from 500, but really it was a bit of a down year. Obviously, losing Jonte Porter in October hurt a lot, and then you know the season just kind of dragged a bit. And Missouri wasn't terrible, but it was certainly not what fans or anybody was hoping for. And, you know, they won some conference games. They won an SEC tournament game. But in the end, it really was a year that will probably not really be remembered at all. And and I think the one thing that you can take away from this year is the last game of the season. They play Auburn. They they lose to Auburn by, I think it was right at double digits, you know, maybe 10 points, 11. But we're with them the whole entire game, and Auburn goes to the Final Four and was a play away from playing the national championship. And I think that describes this Mizzou team. They can go out and play with teams like that, or they can go out and get blown out by Texas A&M by 20-something at home. And that was exactly the year. They were so up and they so down. Probably one of the most inconsistent teams I've ever seen. But the way the freshmen developed and the way the freshmen played, you have to have a lot of confidence, a lot of hope coming into next year. Yeah, that's a good point. 15 and 17 overall, 5 of 13 in SEC play. Those numbers don't stand out. But, you know, something I'm going to remember is finally – Strong non-conference play, right? Yep. Ten and three record. You win the bragging rights game. Not a very strong non-conference schedule, but yes, they still played well. But I mean, they still played well. That's Correct. and and getting that win for the students here, who the graduating seniors in this class are only going to have seen one bragging rights win in their time at Missouri. And that's that. And the, that graduating senior class. You look at Kevin Purrier getting one bragging rights win in his time here. That was a big moment for me, and the way that they succeeded in non-conference play was just a microcosm of the season, right? You look at it, and Ben mentioned Jonte Porter goes down, limited expectations. They start non-conference play super strong. Expectations go back up. Drop your first three in SEC play, back down, <laughs> right back up, as Chase was mentioning, with a couple wins in SEC play. It was just a roller coaster the whole year through, and I, I like what you had to say there, Chase, because one of the most fond memories of the season was Torrance Watson and the way that he played in the final five games of the season. If they can get him to that level of confidence out the gate next year, it's going to be a different team. 
Yeah, and I think it was just a year where it, it was frustrating in a sense because it felt like it could be better. You know, obviously there were some blown leads, especially the one against LSU, a team that also made an NCAA tournament run. But it just felt like there just wasn't quite enough. And obviously losing Jonte Porter, as we said, hurt a lot, but they just didn't have enough to really take them to the next level, even if they were competitive in a fair amount of the games that they played this year. And then on the women's basketball side, Mizzou and Sophie Cunningham's senior season, once again loses in the second round this year to Iowa, and in a close game, they go down, and Sophie Cunningham's career comes to an end at Missouri. You know, I think there's probably no doubt she's the greatest women's basketball player in Mizzou history, drafted now into the WNBA with the Phoenix Mercury And in the end, you know, it's an interesting legacy. Obviously, I think she will be remembered quite fondly here. She'll have her number retired as, you know, for her attitude, her hustle, the way she played. You know, she was was a rock star in a sport that doesn't always necessarily get a lot of attention on college campuses. And, you know, but in the end, Missouri was just not quite as good as some of those top teams in college basketball in the women's side. And unlike the men, it's hard – to really advance in the NCAA tournament to that second weekend without being one of those real elite teams. And in the end, she never got past the second round. And, you know, I think that would have to probably at least bother her and Robin Pinchon a little bit that as good as teams they had under or with Sophie Cunningham, they were never quite able to really put together that run in the NCAA tournament, despite, you know, a bunch of memorable, you know, SEC wins, non-conference wins, including this year at Mississippi State, but they just were never able to get that big win in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and it's it, talk about Drew Locke and his complicated legacy. Sophie Cunningham's right in that same conversation, right? Sets the program record for points in a game against Wake Forest her freshman year. Team isn't great, but it's firmly established that Missouri as a playmaker comes back her sophomore year. The team makes it to the second round of the NCAA tournament after a big weekend win in the first round in 2016. And you think there's some momentum going there, but in the next year, losing the first round, to Florida Gulf Coast, a team that was pretty good and went deep in the 20, 2018 tournament. Then this year, you think, okay, well, you know, they another early exit, but at least they won a game, right? It's at least they got Sophia win in the NCAA tournament. It wasn't easy by any means over Drake. It well, was, yeah, they, they won won her sophomore year as well. As, as well, right? Yeah, so that's two, but ultimately, right. two and four years is not what you're looking for. Exactly, exactly, and uh, you know, it's and it's it's so hard because Ben, you were talking about it. it's it, the women's collegiate basketball game is not really something that you can win with one player, right? And, and Missouri certainly had some had some talented talent around Sophie Cunningham and one of the most well-respected women's basketball coaches in Robin Pinchton, but it never really seemed to gel altogether. You know, the team that I thought had the chance to go to deepest was the 2017 to 18 team. That was a very complete team. You had some young players, you had a great combination of youth and experience and it still just didn't work out. And I think that's how I'm going to remember the Sophie Cunningham area. It just never really worked out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, it, you know, she will certainly be remembered as a, as a, great player as the program's best ever player but in the end you know it'll be interesting to see whether Robin Pinchon can get Missouri to another level you know with this program good or, start with or, the number eight overall prospect Aaliyah Blackwell right headed to Columbia. you know or, or does Pinchon at some point feel like you know if she has the opportunity she needs to move to a bigger job to the point to get to that next level it'll be interesting to see going forward All right, well, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to get into some of the professional sports top moments of the year. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU.
Cafe Berlin for their support. Check out Cafe Berlin's delicious and diverse brunch menu at CafeBerlinComo.com. Looking for a fun night out in Colombia? Check out Cafe Berlin's live music calendar on their website as well. Thank you, Cafe Berlin, for your continued support of KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. Mizzou Softball and Baseball on KCOU is brought to you by B&B Bagel. B&B Bagel offers some of the best breakfast in Columbia and is conveniently located a few minutes off campus at 124 East Nifong Boulevard. For their hours and more information, visit their website, bbbagel.com, or call them at 573-442-5857. For updates on their hours and specials, follow them on Facebook and Twitter as well. KCOU would like to thank B&B Bagel for their continued support of KCOU Sports and Student Radio. KCOU would like to thank One to One Print Shop for their support. One to One outfitted our entire staff with custom performance polos and t-shirts, and they can do the same for your business or organization. To learn more, visit them at 1610 Paris Road or go to their website at one-to-oneprintshop.com. That's O-N-E-T-O-O-N-E printshop.com. Thank you, One to One, for supporting KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. Whether it be t-shirts for your charity event or jerseys for your intramural team, one-to-one print shop can handle your custom apparel needs. If you need inspiration crafting a design, you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram at one-to-one print shop to check out some of their latest work. You can also visit their website at one-to-oneprintshop.com. That's O-N-E-T-O-O-N-E printshop.com. Welcome back into the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, The Blue Box, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you. Our final show of the semester as we wrap up season three of the Preferred Walk-Ons. Chase's, uh, Chase's Blues victorious over Ben and I's stars this week in game seven on Tuesday, so Chase gets uh, the privilege of the... Uh, the, the bad music with the blues victory song. I will say that this song was probably played about 33 times in our apartment after that game. Well, congratulations. It was, <laughs> it was something else. But. No, no less painful for Ben and I. <laughs> One of the weird victory song hey. like, combos like you've ever heard, like how it happened, how it happened that we don't, we're not going to get the whole story, but it was a weird way of now that song becoming famous. I guess maybe we'll live on for legends to gum. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, we are... Going through, we just went through Mizzou past year in sports, essentially, in the main sports. We didn't get into some of the minor sports just due to time, but we will now shift our focus a little bit to the pro sports world. I guess this kind of feels a little bit like we're doing the ESPYs, but I don't I don't know. Um, <laughs> on a much smaller on scale. On a much smaller scale. We're not giving out awards, but it kind of going through the, the moments of the year. And I guess we'll start with the NFL and looking back on this past season and toward the – Next season is when we resume our show in August. It'll be nearly NFL season once again, if you can believe that. What 
stood out to you guys in terms of not maybe not even just as memorable as last year, but uh, something that happened last year that could have an effect going into this year? Well, I, I think if you're wanting to talk about the NFL last season, you have to say two words, and that's Patrick Mahomes. I, I mean, was just unbelievable, was just absolutely insane. You know, with the numbers he was able to put up. And Ben, as you talk about, you know, with the ongoing investigation with Tyreek Hill, not going to go into it any deeper. We don't know enough details, but that could have an effect on Patrick Mahomes this year. You know, they did draft Miko Hardman in the second round, but, you know, I don't think Miko Hardman is Tyreek Hill personally. You know, I think he's a good wide receiver, but I don't think that he is at the level of Tyreek Hill. So if Tyreek Hill is not able to play, I could see Patrick Mahomes' numbers taking a step back possibly right it is worth noting that Tyree Kill still currently on the Chiefs roster Correct. a lot a lot to be decided with that situation but you know I'm, I'm going to go a different direction I'm going to say the NFL playoffs in 2019 were some of the most entertaining that they've had in a long time except for the Super Bowl the exception of the Super Bowl 13 to 3 Patriots wins over the Rams but you look at the AFC and NFC championship right 37 31 New England wins in overtime for the AFC and then you get the controversy of a missed call in the NFC championship game with um with the Rams over the Saints right two two most eye-popping games of the 2019 sporting calendar, right? They had all eyes on them anyway, just because of how successful the NFL is in ratings. And then you look at the way that the, both those games turned out, it was just perfect for the NFL. It's exactly what they wanted. I'm going to take it even further and go to the NFC Divisional. I know this is going to pain so many in Columbia, so many Chicago homers, but man, man. Cody Parkey's double doink on a potential game-winning field goal off the upright and off. That was one of the most significant sporting moments that we've seen in a long time. I was talking to... KCU program director Corbett Koslak about that for a couple of hours outside the studio earlier today. That's one of the moments that he was not ashamed to admit he cried over. The 20, 20 year old man just took it so hard. You just hated to see that, but it was so significant in and of itself. Did you guys see the video of Pat McAfee kick a 43 yarder with his right leg and they kick it with his left leg and he made them both? <laughs> Didn't have the pressure though. Yeah. yeah but but still, come on. Come on, Cody Barkey. I think actually you guys hit on a couple big ones. They obviously Mahomes. I was going to talk about that, but Chase mentioned that and sort of his emergence onto the scene as you know, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL or certainly right there. I, and then I think also Garrett, you you mentioning the officiating. I feel like it was a, a big year for officiating discussion going all the way back to the World Series with the debate about the interference call in in Houston in right field. I guess that was before the World Series. The Ashes are still playing, but in the in the playoffs, and then you talk about the calls in the NFL playoffs, and then March Madness in the Final Four, and then uh, there, of course, there's been a bunch of discussion in both the NBA and the NHL playoffs about officiating. It seems like officiating has been a very hot topic this year with a lot of controversy in in multiple sports. But I also think in the NFL too, it you you have to look at the Patriots, another Super Bowl title. Tom Brady, over 40 years of age. Bill Belichick's still doing his thing. Obviously, Gronk is now retired after this year, but it's pretty amazing that they have won another Super Bowl, and every year where it seems like you want to count them out, they continue to find ways to win, and you know, and just an incredible dynasty, and, and really something that I don't think we've... I mean, you can talk about the Steelers teams and the Cowboys teams, and the Bills obviously never won the Super Bowl, but they went to several Super Bowls, but I don't think we've ever really quite seen anything like what the Patriots have done in this, you know, decade plus now, almost two decades. Well, I'm a Steelers fan, and, and, you know, Ben and Garrett are both Cowboys fans, and I have no problem saying that the Patriots are the greatest dynasty of all time. I I really don't. I mean, I I think it's amazing just that they've lasted 20 years. Exactly. With the same quarterback. Well, (laughs) and, And you think about it, when's the last time the Patriots won in the playoffs? 
I can tell you when when, when Tom Brady, Tom Brady got, got hurt. When Tom Kelsey Brady got hurt was the last time that they didn't they make still the won eleven and five that year. Right? Exactly, yeah. and, and you know it's just I mean that just speaks to anything right there. It, is when you physically can't remember the last time a team was not in the playoffs. I mean that, that just tells you everything you need to know. Like I said, greatest dynasty probably in the NFL, probably one of the greatest dynasties in sports. Mm-hmm. And now that we talk in, a little bit about the NBA, to me I think you know the number one storyline of the year, like it or not, was LeBron going to the Lakers and then just the seeming disaster that that has turned into not necessarily LeBron's fault but you know everyone expected great or a lot of people at least expected great things from LeBron from the Lakers like it's usually happened when he's gone to a team and it it just didn't happen this year Warriors aside if you would have said to somebody guess what team is going to miss the NBA playoffs is going to be surprising I believe that Los Angeles would have been the last team that many would have picked just because of LeBron James's ability to carry teams to the postseason. But for some reason, it was strange to see that mold shattered and see LeBron unable to carry this dysfunctional group well, to the playoffs. In LeBron's defense and in the Lakers organization's defense, they did deal with a lot of injuries they this did. year. They yeah, did. There was a lot of injuries and a lot of, you know, Including there was, to James himself. Right. And, and there was a, there was a time right about the middle I want to say it was the middle of January, and they had gone on a stretch where I believe they went like 13-3 and three or something like that, and LeBron gets hurt. A week later, JaVale McGee gets hurt. A week after that, Lonzo Ball gets hurt, and then Brandon Ingram. I mean, just all just kind of compiled, and that's kind of where you saw the tank come down. But I'm going to talk about the different Los Angeles team, and I'm going to be a little biased, but <laughs> the Los Angeles Clippers, I, I don't think anybody expected the Clippers to do what the Clippers did. You know, you know they had a 40-plus win season, and somehow they take two games at Oracle in the playoffs. And I— a lot of people thought this was a team that was tanking. You know, at the deadline, they make some moves. They trade Tobias Harris, arguably their best player, whenever they were playing really well. And, and they actually got better when they did that. So that was a storyline for me all season as well. I think also you just have to talk a little bit about the continued, I guess, ownership, the dominance that the stars in this league have. From Anthony Davis demanding a trade, not getting a trade, like sort of half playing out the year to the seemingly blown up situation that Kyrie Irving has with the Celtics now and you know the unlikely you know, outlook it looks like he's not coming back not coming back you know Kawhi Leonard forcing his way out of San Antonio to Toronto you know it's just amazing the NBA I think more so than any other league the amount of control these star players have and the personalities and just the dynamics behind the scenes and how public it seemingly all gets and it's just a fascinating league not even on the court, off the court as well, in just how much these players control and how much this kind of stuff. And we didn't even mention Jimmy Butler either. I mean, yeah. there's more and more you can continue to talk about, but I think just quite, it's really amazing, you know, these guys and, and what they're able to do and how much you learn about them and, and you know, how fragile some of these teams are and, and the shakeups that we continue to see across the NBA. And flipping it back on the Homer angle. Tearjerker t- retirement ceremony for Dirk Nowitzki and his swan song. Obviously, seven points a game wasn't Dirk at his peak, and it was kind of tough to see him at certain points in the year. But seeing it culminate in mid-April in his last home game against the Phoenix Suns, him finally acknowledging after it was rumored for months that this was going to be it, and the writing was on the wall that it was Dirk's last season, especially with the way that he was playing on the court, as I mentioned. But it was just perfect. I I, I think I speak for Ben and I both when I say that that, I, that would have been no other way to end Nowitzki's career. And just hearing him say the words, I'm going to confirm what a lot of you already think. This, this was my last home game. It was just hard to believe, and it didn't really hit you until he said it. Just just perfect way to send Dirk off. And 
Really glad that he had a strong 30-point outing in his last game at American Airlines Center. Personally, my favorite basketball player of all time, and I'll always remember this season because it's kind of the changing of the guard, right? Only 33 wins for the Mavericks, but Luka Doncic, the rookie, comes in, dominates the NBA, probably on his way to a Rookie of the Year award. And Not then, if Trey Young has something to say about well, it. Well, I was going to say, Trey Young's definitely worth mentioning too, but you see the turning of the guard, right? Nowitzki's out, Doncic is in. It was a really special season and probably the most consequential 33-win team of all time. Well, yeah, the retirement of Dirk, the retirement of Dwayne Wade, as well yep. as some other players. You know, we don't know if Carmelo Anthony will ever play again. Certainly, there seemingly are more and more guys that we remember from I guess, our childhoods now leaving the NBA and new blood continuing to come in as, of course, you know, Zion Williamson will be entering the NBA this year, very likely to be the first pick in the draft in June, and certainly more and more talent continues to head to the NBA and maybe even heading sooner in a couple years if they do get rid of the one-and-done rule and guys will be able to go from high school once again. And then in baseball, you know, this year, I think, you know, it was maybe more about the offseason than, than, you know, on the field during the season as, you know, there was the talk of Manny Machado and Bryce Harper's free agency. They end up getting their big contracts that they hoped for, but that didn't necessarily mean that other guys did. And once again, baseball struggled through an offseason with guys not getting the money they want. And it's seemingly, you know, between the, you know, the players and the owners, a more and more fractured relationship to the point where we may not have baseball in a couple of years for at least a year due to the continued struggle between what the owners are willing to pay and what the players feel they deserve to be paid. Well, and, and you talk about that. Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell still don't have teams. They're still holding out, and we're you know over a month into the season, I believe. I believe we're about a month, almost a month and a half into the season. 2015 AL Cy Young winner Dallas Keuchel is now pitching to a junior college team in California. For <laughs> I mean, that's practice. that's just that is just, just to great. pass the time. That is just crazy that, that neither one of those teams, or neither one of those players, have teams at the moment. Something that you know, as you said, been about off seasons. Uh, you know, the off season extensions I think were huge too. You know, you talk about Ronald Acuna Jr., you talk about Ozzy Albies, you talk about Alex Bregman, you talk about Paul Goldschmidt, you talk about all these other guys that are getting these extensions because they want that money now and they want to go ahead and lock that in before they hit free agency, where they have to deal with what Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimball are dealing with right now. You know, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, they did bet on themselves and it did work out, but there for a Barely. minute, there for a minute, it didn't look like it was going no. to. It looked like nobody was going to pay them what they wanted to be paid. And, you know, going off of that, it's going to be interesting to see the balance, how that affects free agents in the future, right? If guys get the option to either go to arbitration and have a negotiator determine a salary, they probably might be more prone than ever to take up that chance. We've always heard it that stigmatized arbitration, right? Trevor Bauer of the Cleveland Indians has been outspoken critic of the process. Guys might lean towards that and be more favorable towards that. And obviously, after a while, it becomes out of their control and they have to hit for agency eventually. But I'm going to be interested to see the balance of power and how that affects really holistically how offseason transactions are managed. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens going forward and what sort of solution the players want. You kind of touched on that, Garrett, in terms of, you know, they really don't hold the power here. The owners are ultimately the ones with the money. And so they are the ones that make the decisions at the end of the day. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, in all leagues going forward, you know, what are the relationships like? And, you know, I think there was a time, I'm trying to remember the exact years, I think it, about the start of this decade, 2010, 2011 or so, where we saw a bunch of lockouts or at least threatened lockouts and or strikes, you know, depending on which side makes the move. But I think that certainly appears could be coming in several sports in the next couple of years when some of these collective bargaining agreements expire. So certainly that's going to be interesting to watch as sort of an off the field storyline. And then 
you know, the NHL, I think the story of the year, no question, has been, you know, as we headed towards the playoffs, was all the, the favorites losing so early. And I think, you know, especially Tampa Bay. I think, you know, all the other teams, you could reasonably make a case for why they lost or, you know, maybe they had more points than didn't necessarily equate to the level they were playing at come to the playoffs. But Tampa Bay had an unbelievable season. Nikita Kucherov is almost for sure going to win MVP. You know, John Cooper, probably the coach of the year. And they and Vasilevsky might win the best Vesna as well. And I, I can't remember. I think I believe they set the wins record, right? Oh, yeah. They set uh, the wins, wins record, record. Uh-huh. It, 60. Yeah. Most, most points in a season two. Yeah. And they got swept by Columbus in four games. Not that Columbus was a terrible team by any measure, but they were not anywhere nearly as good as Tampa Bay. And, you know, in terms of all time sports upsets in the playoffs, I think that one goes right up there with anything we've we've seen. I, I think that was just an incredible thing that happened to not only lose, but to get swept and be non-competitive in, in after such an incredible regular season. Well, and like you said, Ben, the reason I put it up there with some of the greatest upsets in playoff history was simply not because that the Blue Jackets won because they weren't a bad team, but because they swept them. You know, had Tampa Bay won a couple games and they lost in six, you'd be like, well, it just wasn't Tampa Bay's year. You know, the Blue Jackets are playing at a much higher level. But to not win a single game after you win 60-something games. First team ever to win the President's Trophy and not win a single game. I, I mean, that is just ridiculous. That is actually ridiculous. This whole NFL, NHL playoffs have been just ridiculous with the upsets and, the and you know, the four teams that are left. You know, I think if you would have told most fans, hey, these are the four teams that are going to be left at the end of the year. I, I think people have been like, oh, I could see San Jose, I could see Boston, but I don't think anybody would saw the Hurricanes or the Blues there. I really don't. Yeah, and I think some people may have expected the Blues at the start of the year, not after how they started. But then, yeah, I think also the Hurricanes, right? I mean, they're for a team that hadn't made the playoffs in almost 10 years to go to the conference final um, and sort of the bunch of jerks and just the life that's t- that that's taken on. I love on, that so much. I think it's been you know incredible to watch, even if they do lose to Boston in this series. It's still... An incredible year for them. All right. Well, that was the pro sports recap of one last thing on hockey. Though it's interesting to see possibly the changing of the guard once again in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh loses in the second round last year after back-to-back Stanley Cups. You get swept out in the first round by the upstart New York Islanders. I think that's interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how Sidney Crosby ages, how that very, very veteran-centered core. We're interested to see if there's a coaching change this offseason or what Pittsburgh is going to do to try to compete again because right now they're on the out. You know, they did not look good in the playoffs this year. And then, of course, the Islanders got swept by Carolina in the next round. When we come back, we are going to look ahead to next year, some Mizzou sports previews and what we expect not only this summer is baseball and softball wrap-up, but what we expect out of the major sports next year. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU. like to remind you that Missouri Tiger football and basketball are brought to you by El Rancho. Catch every Mizzou football game and Mizzou men's basketball game on KCOU 88.1 FM and on KCOU.FM. While you are online, check out El Rancho's website at www.columbiamomexicanfood.com or visit them downtown at 1014 East Broadway. Thank you, El Rancho, for supporting KCOU Sports. 
tune into High and Tight with me and my co-host Logan Perone as we catch you up on the latest signings, trades, news, scores, and highlights from around America's pastime. Every Sunday at 11 a.m. on the 88.1 FM stream and on our website, KCU.FM on the Blue Box. Whatever I want, live from Studio A, broadcasting on KCOU 88.1 every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Brick Squad. Hey you, you like sports? If you answered yes, make sure to tune in each and every Friday to listen to Mid-Missouri's premier sports talk show, The Hot Corner. From 8 to 9 a.m., tune in on KCOU 88.1 FM or KCOU.FM. Sundays at 9 a.m., it's the weekly walkthrough. Tune in to KCOU 88.1 FM to hear Ethan Salm and Nick Catlin recap everything that happened in the world of sports this week. Start your Sunday off right with the weekly walkthrough. Follow us on Twitter at Weekly Walk KCOU for updates on the show. And remember to tune in to KCOU 88.1 at 9 a.m. on Sundays. Every Saturday, Cut the Nets will be live from noon to one on KCOU 88.1 FM. Auto and Porter I don't is a possibility. Jabari Parker's even a possibility. Oh, you don't, you want, don't want Jabari Parker. Tune in to KCOU Sports Saturday to listen to David Kuntz, Zach Berman, and Chuck Ryan talk sports. Fun Biggest fact of the owners. day, number two, Robert Kraft actually owns like 99% of the city of Foxborough. Catch Cut the Nets on KCOU 88.1 FM. Do people care about Evan? I mean, why would the Magic want Evan Turner? Hi, I'm Chris Mitchell. You know, that one guy from the one show. Don't you hate it when you're listening to the radio and not once do you hear anyone talk about video games for extended periods of time? Introducing Quarter Circle Backboard, a solo show dedicated to the sports that you like and the video games that I like. Catch me, myself, and I every Friday from 11 to midnight to hear me chop it up about things like Street Fighter tournaments, the NFL Draft, Red Dead Redemption, and hoops. His jumper is short. And now a fight breaks up between Kobe Bryant and Chris Childs. Chris Childs punched him twice. What could possibly go wrong? Welcome back into the preferred walk-ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the Blue Box, Ben Krakow, Chase Phillips, and Garrett Jones with you for our final show of the semester as we recapped the year in Mizzou sports and professional sports. And now we look towards the summer and into next year as we look ahead for some of the Mizzou teams and what we, I don't know if expect or at least think might happen going forward. And I guess we'll start with Mizzou Baseball since they're still playing right now. They begin a three-game series tonight in Nashville against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, the number two team in the country. You can make a case that they're the best team in the country right now. Mizzou sitting at number 20 in the rankings after 
sort of a wild series last weekend against Tennessee. They ended up winning two out of three, including the final game of the series where they were down seven, nothing and ended up winning that coming back to win that game. But now Mizzou has clinched their spot in the sec tournament in Hoover coming up in a couple weeks and look to be in a pretty good spot to make their first NCAA regional in a few years. They still have, of course, Vanderbilt this weekend and no, no rest for the weary because this opponent, this weekend is a doozy. Number yeah, two, Vanderbilt. Yep, yeah, yeah, Vanderbilt. And then next weekend, they they take on a struggling Florida team. Florida having sort of a rare down year, and that game will that series will be in Columbia at Taylor Stadium, and you can hear that live on KCOU next weekend. It's a, it's a Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, I was series. Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, not your traditional Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But any, anyway, Florida probably really needs to get a couple wins in that series to help their NCAA tournament chances, but. From the Mizzou side of things right now, if you look at the D1 baseball projections, Baseball America projections, the bracketology, most, I guess, projections have them as a two seed right now. Of course, in the NCAA, you know, there's, they did get divided up all into regions. So there's one through 16, one through four seeds in the tournament. And, you know, that's probably about where Mizzou, I guess, the highest they could go. You know, if they were to make some noise this weekend in Nashville and then have a good series next weekend and then maybe win a game or two in the SEC tournament, then maybe you're talking about getting in the hosting discussion, that one seed line. But that seems rather unlikely right now. But still, this is a pretty good team and a team, you know, frankly, you know, I think you would say this about softball, too, you know, not to mention, you know, the NCAA tournament ban that's still being appealed that was placed on both programs. But Steve Beezer's program hadn't made an NCAA tournament under him. On the softball side, Larissa Anderson is the new head coach after some turmoil there. And there wasn't really much expected out of both teams. You know, softball was projected to finish last in the SEC and projected by a wide margin to finish last in the preseason polls. Mizzou was projected to finish last in the SEC East in baseball and second to last in the conference. And now both of these teams look like they're headed to the NCAA tournament, which is certainly quite the accomplishment, you know, considering that not many people expected much out of either of those teams. No, and like you said, Ben, both these teams have been very, very surprising, but they're very, very good. And, you know, both teams so far have really, really shocked people. And it's been really nice to see. You know, I would like to see the baseball program here develop more into a powerhouse. I think it would be really, really good for the university if it kind of built up, you know, like the rest of the SEC schools, you know, like we've talked about before. You know, LSU and Vanderbilt, some of those weekends, I mean, it's like an MLB atmosphere there. And, and, you know, I think that would be really good for the university if, you know, they continue to win and we could push towards that as well. Yeah, it's it's certainly an issue with Missouri baseball just because it's hard to get the fans into it, right? You start off the season in February, it's still cold up here. You get into March, it's still freaking cold. And then Taylor Stadium is a hard place to get to, right? It's hard to develop that environment, that candidate, that LSU and Vanderbilt both have is this, this cult following in their fan base. But, you know, a good way to start is by winning games, and Missouri's done that this season. And Ben mentioned, you know, Missouri and soft, Missouri baseball and softball overachieving. I credit the coaching. You know, Steve Beezer's met a lot of criticism these past few weeks because of his small, small ball style of play. That's certainly easy to criticize, but right now it's producing results for Missouri. And if they can get two huge series wins here, clinch a regional that would be gigantic for the state of this program and a firm, finally, clear step of action towards progress because missing missing the tournament the first two seasons of his tenure with the talent that he had on the roster is was pretty surprising. It'd be huge for them to clinch yeah, that it's, this year. It's kind of funny considering I think this year's roster is probably less talented than some of those teams, yeah. but they've found ways to win games, especially in conference play, and that's that's critical. If You, you probably, probably need to be at least 500 in conference play to get into the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly been 
quite the year for both those programs. Mizzou softball losing the other day in the SEC tournament to Auburn three to nothing, but they will wait their NCAA tournament status out until the selection show, but very likely to be selected for the tournament as they were last year as well. And then as we look forward to Mizzou football in the fall, as we briefly touched on earlier, Kelly Bryant comes in as the new quarterback. You know, a good portion of this team is back once again. You know, you have three offensive linemen, most of your receiving core. You add Jonathan Nance, the grad transfer from Arkansas, Larry Roundtree back at running back, Albert Okuwebunam's back at tight end. Some changes on the defensive line, if, you know, a couple changes at linebacker, though Kill Garrett's still there, and the secondary mostly pretty much stays the same. So this is a team that obviously has a good amount of talent. It's going to be a different offensive system, a different quarterback, but there are a lot of familiar pieces coming off a team that won eight games and now going into a season where the schedule, at least right now, looks pretty favorable. Well, and I think there's a lot of excitement going into, going into this, not only this team, but going into the stadium. I mean, the, you know, Taylor Stadium is coming along, or excuse me, Memorial Field is coming along very long. We are just talking about baseball. Um Memorial Stadium is coming along very, very nicely so far for O Field. And, you know, you look at that south end zone, I think a lot of people are going to be excited about that. And I think they're expecting a lot of good crowds. You know, they're lowering ticket prices. They're trying to get more fans to come. You know, the big problem that Missouri's fighting right now is, you know, they're trying to get a lot more students to come to games. And that's something that, you know, I feel like a lot of universities around the country are really starting to fight is if you're not a top 10 team, you're really having a hard time getting getting students to games. Well, and it's even an interesting discussion for the – you know, for the top teams, you know, there was a there's an article the other day that Georgia and Kirby Smart, who's really handling all their scheduling now, wants to play three power five non-conference games a year. And even though some, you know, guys like Nick Saban and, and others programs, Florida just announced a home and home today with Texas, were not in favor of playing those true road games and preferred the neutral site games. They realized they need those true home games and road games against other top opponents in order to get crowds. Missouri's going to play West Virginia this year at home. Fact of the matter, even if you're Alabama, if you're playing Louisiana Lafayette, there are a lot of people that are just not going to show up. And I think that there's been a growing appreciation for that across college football. And I think that's a, a good thing that these schools are now acknowledging. You know what? We need to play each other instead of just playing some low level opponent that we're going to crush 63 to three because that's not good for anybody, and the fans aren't interested in showing up and seeing it. Right, and that change will come for Missouri. You look at that game that Ben identified for Missouri is going to be week three against Southeastern Missouri State. Hopefully we'll see that change as the schedule comes out year to year. But, you know, talking about games more on the schedule that catch my eye, Missouri will certainly lobby to the SEC. Obviously, they're not in much control, especially with the TV networks, over what time they get. But Saturday, September 7th against West Virginia, that crowd is going to be unbelievable, especially if it's a night game. West Virginia, Power 5 opponent, the only one coming through, not, at least from the non-conference um, this year at Faroe Field. It's a different West Virginia team. A lot of the big names are gone. You look at David Sills gone, Will Greer gone, a lot of strong players like Long on the defensive end for the Mountaineers are gone. But it's still a quality opponent, a team that Missouri played two years prior on the road in Morgantown. I think this game is going to have a ton of appeal. And I think interesting caveat within this game, first home game, not only for Missouri, but also a battle of transfer quarterbacks between Austin Kendall and Kelly Bryant. Kendall left Oklahoma, was really touted as possibly the heir apparent and the next in line to win a third straight Heisman Trophy for an Oklahoma quarterback. And he's going to get his chance to do so at West Virginia. So there's just so much appeal surrounding that game. I'm really excited to be there in person for that game. And I'm sure Missouri fans are really teething to get over to that game. It would have been an interesting quarterback matchup last year with Will Greer versus Drew Locke, but we never 
got to see that happen. But yeah, it certainly, you know, Missouri has a, as we mentioned, a pretty favorable schedule this year with West Virginia really being the premier non-conference opponent. Missouri also taking on Southeast Missouri and Troy at home and then opening the year at Wyoming, who they played last year as well. And then in the, you know, the conference, you obviously play all your SEC East opponents, but you probably couldn't have asked for two better SEC West opponents, you know, having Ole Miss at home, that's the homecoming game, and then playing Arkansas, you know, technically on the road in Little Rock in, in the final game of the season, but those are probably the two weakest teams in the West, and having no Alabama, no Auburn, no LSU, no Texas A&M, no Mississippi State on your schedule is kind of exactly what you'd like in terms of trying to win games. Um, you know, that's probably about as favorable as you can get for Missouri, but obviously they've got to win those games, and you know, can they finally beat Kentucky? Next year will be on the road. They've think lost, what is it, four years in a row now to Kentucky? Four years in a row. Um, you know, that's been a team that's sort of been their, I don't know, just their nemesis. They cannot seem to get over the hump against them. And then, of course, a trip to Athens is always tough, taking on Georgia. And then they will play a good Florida team in November at home as well. And then as we turn our focus to Mizzou basketball, they will obviously be bring back most of their team from last year, you know, which is actually interesting. If you look at most of the SEC, there's going to be a lot of turnover among the majority of the teams. Some of it just to the graduation, some guys leaving early for the draft, Missouri bringing back most of their team. Obviously Jordan Geist is gone. Their leading scorer from a year ago, Kevin Purrier also graduated. Everyone fully expects Jeremiah Tillman to be back, even though he, potentially maybe put his name in the NBA draft process. We don't really know. That was never really clear because he never showed up on the list, and we've seen him around here, so I don't I don't think he's going to the NBA. But anyway, Mario McKinney comes in as part of the recruiting class, as lo- along with Trey Jackson, and then potentially Kobe Brown as well, a guy who was originally committed to Texas A&M and then decommitted after Billy Kennedy was fired and will be making his decision on Tuesday. Missouri's in the Final Four, along with Minnesota, Penn State, and Vanderbilt for him but not a marquee recruiting class by any standards. But Missouri, as we talked about, did have a bunch of freshmen who played last year who will have another year of experience. And this is a team that I think most would expect to take at least a step forward next year, whether that means the NCAA tournament, whether that means the NIT, they probably should not be sitting out the postseason once again next year. And you said it just perfectly, Ben. They should be in a tournament next year, one or the other. You know, I think this team will be good enough to play in the NCAA tournament. I think the SEC is going to be down a lot. You know, I think Kentucky will be very, very good as normal. But, you know, I think teams like LSU, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, I think teams like that are really going to take a step back this year. It's a good point. I think this is huge for Conzo Martin. This is finally the year where he gets his players right. There's no inheritance anymore. Kim Anderson's recruits are finally gone. This is his chance to make a mark on this program. And for the first time, really, this is going to be a chance to get to see Conzo Martin's Missouri Tigers, right? Hired in March of 2017, inherited significant amount of talent, and obviously very much helped along by Michael Porter Jr.'s circumstantial recruitment to Missouri. Helped a lot by that second year ton of transition, lots of injuries, still Anderson players contributing up and down the roster. But the third year, really, those are Conzo's guys on the floor. And I'll be interested to see what the first year, truly, the first true year under Conzo Martin looks like. Yeah, and hopefully for him and for the Missouri team, a full year of health, which has not been the case in his first two years with some significant injuries each season. And then Missouri women's basketball, Garrett kind of mentioned this earlier, obviously losing Sophie Cunningham, losing Lauren Aldridge, losing Sierra Porter, that's a lot that you lose, but they do bring in a couple big-time recruits as it'll sort of be a, I don't know if a new era or a new look for the Mizzou women's team. As it's sort of, I guess, unknown what we can expect next year just because this team is going to have such a different look. Really, Amber Smith, the only key contributor back on this team next year. 
Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, they do bring in some really good recruits. They're bringing in two Missouri girls. Asia Blackwell, I believe, was out of Whitfield, but I th- or, or I believe at Whitfield originally. Then originally, but but then had some transfer issues or, or something where where they fell through. She's not there anymore, but she's coming next year. They also have Haley Frank from Stratford. Um, actually, I've watched Haley Frank play a lot of basketball. She's very very good. I think she will kind of take over a little of that Sophie Cunningham, Sierra Porter role. She's kind of a mix between the two players, um, but I expect them to be very very good next year as well. Certainly, and you know, you look at the, it's going to be strange seeing Missouri without Cunningham or Aldridge, right? Some of the playmakers, but once again, another chance for Robin Pinchton to prove herself and the recruits that she's established in this class. It's going to be interesting to see the transition finally from a different era, as you mentioned, Ben. It's going to be interesting to see how the adjustment and the transition is for Missouri. Yeah, it's always the interesting part about college sports is your, your roster's constantly turning over and people are leaving and graduating and then new players come in, which makes it exciting, but also a little bit unknown. All right, well, that's our preview for what we expect or what we think might happen coming in the fall in Mizzou sports. And, of course, when we get back in August, it's going to be prime college football season. It'll just be a short time before Mizzou is kicking off in Laramie against Wyoming, I think the week after the school year starts. So it should be a lot of fun. We, of course, will have all the football games live here, home and away on KCOU, in addition to all the men's and women's basketball home games and maybe a couple road games as well. So a lot of broadcasts to come in the fall on KCOU. Ben and Chase headed to Nashville in October for that broadcast. It should be a lot of fun, Missouri versus Vanderbilt, and then James Stanley and I headed to Athens, Georgia. So preferred walk-ons getting well-represented in the football calls next Yeah, it should next be fall. a lot of fun, and every game you can hear live once again on KCOU. So look forward to that in the fall. When we come back, it is our final get it off your chest of the semester. You're listening to the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU. Tune into High and Tight with me and my co-host Logan Perone as we catch you up on the latest signings, trades, news, scores, and highlights from around America's pastime. Every Sunday at 11 a.m. on the 88.1 FM stream and our website KCU.FM on the Blue Box. Looking for a fun night out in Columbia? Check out a concert at Cafe Berlin. Looking for that great brunch after a fun night? Cafe Berlin has you covered for that, too. Check out their stacked concert schedule and brunch menu at CafeBerlinComo.com or check them out at 220 North 10th Street. Also, follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Cafe Berlin and on Instagram at Cafe Berlin Como. A delicious power breakfast. Great way to start the day. I'm Brandon Anthony. And I'm Keegan Harbin. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. to listen to me. And me on our new show, Breakfast of Champions. Here on KCOU Sports, KCOU 88.1 FM. Good evening. The game you're about to see is the most stupid, appalling, disgusting, and disgraceful exhibition of football possibly in the history of the game. Hi, I'm Kyle Jones. And I'm Cole Toussaint. Tune in to our show, KNC Sports, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9. We discuss all the latest and greatest scores and stories from around the world of sports. 
Remember to tune in every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9, only on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, or online at kcou.fm. You don't want to miss it. Oh, this is absolutely ridiculous. Welcome back into the Preferred Walk-Ons here on KCOU 88.1 FM, KCOU.FM, the Blue Box, Ben Krakow. Garrett Jones and Chase Phillips, our final show of the semester and our final get it off your chest of the semester, what's bothering us in sports this week. And I, I'll just I'll go ahead and start. So I have to give my hat tip to my brother for passing this along to me, but I, I just cannot get over this. So the NCAA golf tournament was has been taking place over the last couple of weeks, both the men and the women's golf tournament and they similar to kind of the baseball style they have regionals so where different teams host and then a bunch of teams go play in that regional and then certain number come out as the winners and move on so in the norman regionals the university of oklahoma at their golf club 19 teams competed in the women's golf tournament and this was i think i believe earlier this week and the university of texas actually won the regional with a total score of nine under par for their team which is a, obviously a pretty good score. The next highest tied for second was Florida at Wake Forest at even par. So Texas was well ahead of those two schools and well ahead of everybody else to get the win in the regional. But in second to last place came UNC Wilmington with a plus 57, which I thought was pretty high. I was like, well, it's not very good, you know, but I guess if you add up all the teams. In 18th and last place was Fairleigh Dickinson University. They were 99 over par as a team. Second to last place was 57 over. I really want to know. I'm sure they play in a small conference. How fairly Dickinson made the NCAA tournament if their team shot 99 over par. I, I just cannot get over the fact that Texas beat Fairleigh Dickinson by over 100 shots. Honestly, I wonder if that's a difference in course because Fairleigh Dickinson in New Jersey, if I'm, I think correct, if I'm not mistaken, right? So they they could be playing link style golf, which could be very, very different to what they're playing in Norman. I that would be the only reason I could possibly think of something like that happening because it's a very different. I mean, it's game in when, New Jersey, right. but I don't think there's any way that like if they knew they were going to have to play those courses that they wouldn't exactly. be practicing them. Exactly. No, that, that, that I guess just, they just weren't very good. <laughs> see, I wonder. I don't think I covered collegiate golf for a couple of years for the Manier and Missouri Golf. I can't think of a role in which I ever saw in my time doing that. A, p- a pick up and move to the next hole, right? I, I don't think that that's in the NCAA. I think you actually have to finish the hole. So I, I would have been curious to see some scores and some cards from that match, from that series. I, I, I don't I don't know enough about it. I was just blown away that one school could beat another school by over 100 shots. In that's tournament. really interesting. All right, Chase, you're up next. What do you got? So mine has to do with the Celtics and Bucks series and mainly towards Paul Pierce. And uh, I'm sure you both know what Paul Pierce said after game one. And if you don't, Paul Pierce said it's over. That's the end of the series right there. Saying and the Celtics were going to win. The Celtics were going to win. This is a former Celtics player. It's, people it, it, it's, it's over. It's over, he says. It's over. It's the series. It's done. Celtics are going to win. And then Milwaukee came back and won the next four games. Huh. If I was a Celtics fan, I would be livid. I'd be like, dude, shut up. Who cares what you have to say? Like, I get Paul Pierce is, like, a great Celtic, like, probably a Hall of Fame Celtic player, but, like, the same point. Shut up. 
Like, it doesn't matter. It's one game. One game does not change a series. That it's literally in basketball or the NHL or the MLB. One game is not affecting the whole series. I never like the broadcaster bias argument because I think that it's just so narrow sighted. But I would have said that if anybody were to argue that they would have had a lot of ammunition against the pregame NBA countdown, especially oh, yeah. last night. Last night, their crew was Michelle Beadle, who's a wonderful professional. Like, she's great at what she does. But in studio with her, you had Paul Pierce, obviously lifelong Celtic, one of the best players in French's history. You had John Rondo, who was a multi-time all-star. He still plays in the NBA. He was there in studio with them last night. And then you had Chauncey Billups, who was a draftee by the Boston Celtics. So I could see if you were a Bucks fan, <laughs> you'd have ammunition against that crew. That's really interesting. All right, Garrett, what do you have for us? I don't I don't really have anything that's irking. I, I think that the Don Cherry Hockey Night in Canada, um, him not only doubling down on his hate of the Carolina Hurricanes after their postgame celebrations in the regular season, but tripling down in the conference finals. Still, the analysts there give him a hard time about it. And he, he still reaches out to criticize the fans that they weren't into it in the regular season, that they had low attendance numbers. I, I just don't understand at this point how he doesn't even at least – ease off his argument yeah, just a give bit. it up a little just, bit just he doesn't like carolina just because they play a very different style that clashes with traditional hockey i, I don't know he's one of I, don't, most- I don't know if you saw this but a boston radio host hung up with a hurricanes beat writer that he had on his radio show hung up on him because he did not like the fact that he had a southern accent and he didn't think that someone with a southern accent should be talking hockey that's ridiculous so yeah there are certainly some people in the north and up in canada who don't believe in carolina don't like what they're doing but at the same time i agree with you only only other thing i wanted to share and i'm really to get off your chest so uh joey gallo unicorn player right one in one in a kind one in a million uh, please tell me you're about to say what i think you're going to say the most joey gallo sad of all time yes. center fielder for the me. texas rangers Hit his 100th career home run in his 377th professional Major League Baseball game. He currently has 93 singles. He is the first player to reach 100 home runs in his career before 93 singles. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. Well, you can think about that stat as we head into the summer as, once again, this is the final show of our semester, season three of the Preferred Walk-Ons. We want to thank all of you for joining us throughout this semester Just a reminder that we do put on Spotify all of our podcasts and you can listen to any shows that you may have missed. We will be back in the fall. We want to thank all our guests. We had numerous guests from local and around the country who joined us this semester. We hope to have more in the fall and we thank all of them for coming and taking some time to visit with us. And we say so long and we look forward to talking to you back in August. This has been the Preferred.